My name is Rachel Del Judas, and you are listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Forge Leadership Network mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives ages 18 to 25, equipping them to lead in politics, culture, and business. For more information or to get involved, visit forgeleadership.org. Paul, so by, by way of background, Paul and I met when I was in college. I heard about this ministry called The Navigators which is like crew and intervarsity and athletes in action, uh, what would be called a parachurch ministry. And basically a, a ministry that was incredibly helpful to Christians on campuses that are not Christian. Right. So we had, a, we had a group, uh, Paul, Oh, sorry. So backing up, I, I met a navigator who was on staff at the university of Cincinnati while I was in high school. And he was talking about how the navigators were really, into discipleship and, 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 and scripture. And, and it was like, man, this sounds like a great, it sounds like a great fit. Is there a navigator at the university of Dayton? He said, yes, great guy. But question for you, do you like Ohio state football? <laughs> I said, yes. He said, you'll love Paul Isaacs. Uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. Paul mentored me in, in Christianese. We would call that d- discipled me, counseled me, just loved me. He, he and his family, April and the kids just let me do life with them in Centerville, Ohio, just south of Dayton. We took in many Ohio State football games, played rounds of golf, led Bible studies, even worked together for a year. I gave a year on staff to the Navigators. Paul had already married my wife and I the year before, and I came to work for him for a year to kind of give back to a ministry that had meant a lot to me while I was a young college freshman sophomore anyway it paul get into this story a little bit but that's only kind of the start of our (laughs) friendship and journey and and enjoyment because paul ended up running for office you're not gonna tell everything are you are you gonna tell i'm not so in the rest is history but uh most recently paul was the president of save the storks as well as most recently actually that's false that wasn't most recently for the last few months He's actually on the staff of My Faith Votes, working on turning out believers to make sure that their voice was heard this election and more. This is a passion area for Paul. And so anyway, that is a very long introduction, but I could spend about an hour introducing Paul. So I just want you to know how much I love him. He's the big brother. Paul's the older brother. I would say big, but I'm bigger than him. <laughs> so not, yeah, not in the, in the gun show way, but... <laughs> by height and weight, I am bigger than him, but he is the older brother I I never had and means the world to me. So it's awesome to have him serving on the Forge board. And I want him to give, he's going to give you a talk that he gave at last year's 2019 Forge Leadership Summit that is really inspiring my heart. So I hope that you will, you will glean from it as well. Paul, take us away. Okay. So what I'd like for everyone (laughs) to do Yeah. What I'd like for everyone to do is if you can somewhere in the messages, just tell me, and not that this is an important thing, this is not, but like, if you go to, if you went to college, I'm always intrigued by where people go to college. If you don't go to college, you are not a second class citizen. As a matter of fact, colleges can steal your faith and they can crush your creativity. So I don't want you to think, so I've got boiler up here. I got Hillsdale. I've got Liberty, Patrick Henry, Wright State, obscure college named Harvard, Wilmington, Grand Canyon, Lee, Washington Lee, Cedarville, Minnesota, 
Okay, Scarborough, Taylor, Hillsdale, West Point, Duke. Boy, tell you what, some great colleges. Charleston Southern. And I'll, I'll read off some of those and later, but I, those are the ones I'm seeing. I went to this really, <laughs> Ashland, that's a good school too. I've got a great friend up there, Joe Magalette. If you've ever heard Lydia of Joe Magalette, he does campus ministry up there. So I, I want to just tell you a little bit about just kind of who I am. I want to say this, but I'll start by saying, if God can use me, I guarantee you. Yeah, I guarantee you he can use you. I'll begin with the story of a guy who found himself at 30 years old in a bar near San Francisco. And as he was sitting at this bar, he had been out of his degree program. He'd been out for about seven years, eight years, climbed the corporate ladder. He had um, achieved a level of success at a young age. He had a company, Alex, a company car, Alexis, doing very well. But there was a lady over there who was flirting with him. It wasn't his wife. And he felt extremely empty. And he realized this is not really the life that he thought. He thought he wanted a life like this, but it was it was empty, just utter emptiness. And so he slipped out the back of the of this bar and he goes a couple blocks to his house and he's sitting there and he looks over and he sees a pair of old Chuck Taylors that are just sitting there on the on. The, believe it or not, like and there's they're sitting on the porch. And so he strips down to his, his boxers and his T-shirt. And he starts running and he ran and ran and about three or four in the morning, he's, he kind of stopped for a second, caught his breath and smiling and he's burping up tequila and he's thinking to himself, this is kind of fun. And he keeps going and he runs and he runs along the highway one towards Santa Cruz. And at about eight 30, he realizes I need to call my wife and have her come pick me up. So he went to this thing that many of you all may have used, but may, many of you may not even know what this is. It's called a, a payphone. And so he goes to this payphone, he calls his wife, she comes to the 7-Eleven, picks him up and he goes home. And so what he had while he was running though, while he was waiting for his wife, he realized he kind of had this awakening. And he, it wasn't, it was kind of almost like a born again experience for him at the moment. And it was like, he was, he felt like he was born again to run. I mean, he had run over 25 miles there and he just, it was nothing. And so from that moment on, he kind of became one of these ultra marathoners. His name was Dean Karnatsis and you can look him up. He ran a race one time, I think it was three days long. And he, he, he ran for that amount of time without sleeping he ran uh, the one and only marathon to the South Pole. And one time he ran 50 marathons in 50 different states in 50 consecutive days. And he finished in the New York marathon and he thought, I don't know what to do now. So he just, and I'm not, and you're going to think I'm, I'm confusing the story with Forrest Gump. I'm telling you the truth. You can look this up. He ran from New York City back home to San Francisco. Now, I say all that to say this. Dean Karnatsis was a passionate man. But if you had to think, what was Dean passionate about? I can tell you that I don't think it's fitness. Because, you see, I like to be fit. I, I try to work out six days a week. But that's a little different than what that he's different than me. He wasn't passionate about fitness. Wasn't passionate about exercise. He was passionate about running. 
see, I don't like to run unless someone's chasing me with a with a pitchfork or a chainsaw. And and at a certain point, actually, I'll lay down and I'll say, "You just take a limb. Let's call it even. We're done." I don't really enjoy running anymore. I really never have. Dean Karnatsis was passionate about running. And I'm passionate about a few things in life. I'm passionate about my wife. I'm passionate about God. I'm extremely passionate about my family. I'm passionate about my country. I'm passionate about Mexican food. I think about it 80% of the day. I'm passionate about standing against the injustice of abortion and standing against the injustice of of human trafficking. I'm kind of a fighter and and that is sometimes good and it's sometimes bad. Like I get in trouble online and on Facebook and things like that because I'm always like picking fights. But I'm also passionate about obeying God. And I want to talk to you about tonight about and I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't want to assume that everyone here has a relationship with God. I do. And it's very real to me. And I, I really want to get someday to the end of my life. And I want to be able to, on my deathbed, and little parentheses here, I don't know if my bed that I'm laying on at the time is going to say, like in some banner, deathbed. <laughs> but if, if I realize, hey, this is the last bed I'm going to be on, and that's my deathbed. I want to be able to bring my grandkids, my great grandkids, hopefully my great grandkids. And I want to have them be able to come to around me. And I want to be able to say to them a couple of things. Number one, I want to be able to say, hey, that lady right over there, your mama, your great grandma, I was faithful to her. And I want to leave a legacy of, 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 of faithful, just like fidelity to this woman and, and honor her. The other thing I want to be able to say, I want to, I want to look at them in the eye. I want you all to know something. I want there to be a lot of kids there. I, I want you to know that whenever I sensed that God wanted me to do something, I never backed down in fear. That I always said yes, no matter what the cost was. And that started when I was a very young man. I went to Christian camp. And raise your hand and I can, I can see it. If you've ever been to a Christian camp, you like growing up, you went to, okay, I see a bunch of people. You went to Christian camp. Okay. Well, problem with me is when I went to this first Christian camp as a nine-year-old kid, the very first night of, of this camp up in Ohio, a little North of Columbus, the name of it was Camp Penile. And at Camp Penile, this guy gets up and he teaches the story about these five missionaries that go to South America. They go to Ecuador and they try to reach a people group called the, the Alca. They were, I don't know, has anybody ever heard this story about a guy named Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and these guys? Raise your hand if you've ever heard this story. Okay, a few of you have heard this story. And there was a movie uh, made about it in the last 20 years called The Edge of the Spear, or The Tip of the Spear. So he tells a story, and the story, if you know, they, these guys are very passionate about going to these people. These are cannibals, these people that didn't have much access to the outside world, and they ended up killing all five missionaries. And then the pastor says, on the first night of camp, to nine and 10-year-olds, you need to be willing to be a missionary too. did not set my week off to a good start. I cried the rest of the week. I was so afraid that God was going to call me to be 
a missionary that it ruined my week. I mean, I, you know, in the archery field, you know, I tried my best to get my mind off of it when I was swimming in the pond for a few minutes, maybe I'd stop thinking about this thing about missionary, but I, I went home and I told my dad, dad, you wasted your money. I said, uh, this guy talked about wanting me to be a missionary and I wanted to be just like my dad and be in the air force. I wanted to be, he was my hero. He still is my hero. I love him to death. And my dream of my life was to be in the military, just like him. And my dad said something to me, he goes, son, it's not that God expects you or wants you to be a preacher or a missionary. See, because missionaries, and they were in another category, they were going to get killed by whomever they went to. And preachers were just really nerdy people to me. Like they had this, like if there's a nerd index, they were pegging it out. Like, you know, that that, that was just, I'm, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying that was my impression. So I didn't want to do either one of those things. So my dad said, son, it's not that God wants you to be a preacher or a missionary, but he does want you to be willing to do whatever it is that he wants you to do. He wants you to be willing. And I said there at, on, at 5745 Westfall Road, laying on the couch right there, I remember thinking and saying to God, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I will not be a preacher or missionary. I'll do anything else. I just won't do those two things. I hope you've never said that to God before. God has this funny sense of humor and he has a funny way of, of, of dealing with his kids and he's not vindictive. He's just, he's, I think God is really, really humorous. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to have a lot of laughing. So I said that to God a few years later, I contracted and it's a long story, but I contracted an illness called aplastic anemia. And in this aplastic anemia, they found that I, I was bleeding from every place imaginable in my body internally externally i had cuts and these massive horrible bruising i had no whites to my eyes i was literally bleeding to death and the first night that they finally realized what it was they wanted to give me a transfusion and so they did and when they gave me a transfusion i found out 30 years later they gave me a bad batch of blood because at one point they thought that i got hepatitis and that that caused the saplastic anemia but what happened was is when they gave me this blood in 1983, they weren't testing it like they do now. And so my liver went crazy and it almost killed me. That liver thing almost killed me. Then I had this other disease, aplastic anemia. Put together, I was given a 3% chance to live, three. And I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that I was very sick and I felt like they were trying to be nice to me, but I felt like they were hiding the fact that I was gonna die. And so what I remember saying to God in the hospital bed, laying there in Columbus, Ohio, I said to God, God, let me see, let me hear, you have to hear two things. First, I don't want, I want you to hear what I didn't say. I did not say, God, if you get me out of here, I will do X because that's bargaining with God. And we don't have chips to bargain with God. He's not a poker player. He's, he's, he's the dealer. He's the King. And so what I did say, I said, God, for as long as I have, <coughs> excuse me, for as long as I have left, <coughs> I'll do whatever you want me to do. <coughs> Hold on a second. And so if that meant talking to the nurse who was coming in about my relationship with God, I was going to have to do it. Or the doctor, or if that meant when when I was able to leave the hospital, sometimes they would have me speak. So I would speak at Red Cross events because over the next year's time, I received 90 gallons of blood transfusions because I couldn't make any blood. 
aplastic anemia is a disease where your bone marrow quits working. And thankfully, for all of you, inside your bones, there's this marrow and it makes blood and you never have to think about it. But for me, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I was going in and they were giving me more, more blood just to keep me alive. The Red Cross doesn't have anybody, to my knowledge, that's, been re that's received 90 gallons of blood transfusions that they can prop up on a stage and say, hey, give blood. And so they would ask me to give blood as a young man, as a teenager. And I'd say, yeah, I'll, I'll. I mean, they would ask me to talk about it to these big fundraisers and things like that. And I would say, okay, I'll do that. But I want you to know that I'm going to talk about God and his relation, my relationship with him and how he's the one that healed me. And they would say, whatever it is, whatever it takes Paul to bring tears to their eyes and get them, get them to give blood, you know, and get them to let their employees give blood. So I would do that. And then I ended up, uh, God wanted me, I felt like God wanted me to go to this particular school. It's a university called Bob Jones University. If you know anything about Bob Jones University, you almost have to feel called to go there. I call it the Christian military school. If there wasn't a rule about it, they'd have to figure, they'd, they'd, they'd figure out, they'd look at the, the situation and then make up. I mean, it was, it was hardcore. So if any of you guys that go to Taylor or Ashland or Liberty. I don't feel one bit sorry for you about any rules because I went to Bob Jones University and I know what rules are. There are no pink and blue sidewalks according to what the rumors are. But anyway, that's for another uh, time and another discussion. So I went there and left there, got involved in Christian education, and then God called me into church ministry. I met this girl of my dreams. I asked her to marry me got into ministry. Then I went into the navigators and I started investing my life in, in young college students and helping them look more like Jesus Christ. Cause Colossians says we proclaim him so that we can present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. This I do with all the energy that God powerfully works within me. That was my goal. I want to give my life away. Isaiah 43, four says, because I've loved you and you're precious in my sight, I'll give men in exchange for you people in exchange for your life. So for a long time, for 17 years, I felt like God wanted me to invest my life in the next generation in the con with the, the context of personal discipleship. Everybody, I don't know if everybody understands what that, that phrase means, but basically it means sharing with somebody what God is teaching with you, bringing them along in your journey to know Jesus Christ and to make him known and to try to help them look more like Jesus. And so I did that. Enter Adam Josephic as a young man, and, and, you know, I was teaching him about some of the things God was teaching me, <laughs> and I think Adam had just graduated. I had, I think, I think I'd already performed their wedding ceremony. Adam, had I already performed your yeah. wedding ceremony? Yeah, that was July of 2011. Okay, so and July I think it was the winter afterwards that you started getting the yeah. So. Well, here's a funny story, though. And I put you through a lot for four years. You could, you could say that. <laughs> well, there's a lot that I could tell you about Adam that I won't. I'll let Adam <laughs> say that someday. But one of the th crazy things one time is in 2010. Has anybody in here ever heard the, uh, the name Jim DeMint? Raise your hand if you've heard of Jim DeMint. So Jim DeMint was a congressman. He was a senator, but before he was any of those things, he was a businessman and he was my Sunday school teacher in Greenville, South Carolina. And that was the craziest thing because I, all of a sudden I realized 
this guy's like, he's kind of a big deal now. I mean, years later, he became a big deal. And then he became the president of the Heritage Foundation, which is where I interned right when I left college. I, I worked at a place called the Heritage Foundation. Always had a little bit of this political bug. It might shock you that I was not an Obama fan. And so in 2010, <laughs> in 2008, I did the craziest thing and I voted for Hillary in the primaries just to kind of keep the primary going. But I, <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Cause it was, it was in Ohio. You can't, you have to no, don't say it yet. Don't say it yet. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. But it was Rush Limbaugh. It was operation chaos. Yeah. It was called operation chaos. What they need to know, hold on. What they need to know is the Republican nominee was already decided. It was like pointless. So yeah. you decided to try and mess with the Democrats. So Rush Limbaugh had challenged all these guys, <laughs> these people to go out and vote <laughs> To go out and vote in the Democratic primary. So enter 2010, you know, after I voted in this primary to keep the primary going and all this chaos, I go, I'm like, me and Adam are fired up. We're like, I've just read Jim DeMint's book and I'm going to go, I'm going to go see what the Republican Party needs from Paul Isaacs. And I go down to the County Board of Elections and I sit down there with Adam and I tell him who I am and they, they, they walk out. And they come back in and they can, they have their arms crossed and they go, who are you again? So I'm Paul Isaacs. Basically, I'm saying I'm, I'm ready to go. I know you guys are probably intimidated by me and you're probably so thankful that I'm here. So give it to me straight. I'm ready to go. And they're like, you're a registered Democrat. And I almost slapped the person. I was offended, deeply offended. And that I've never been called anything quite so bad in my life. And, uh, <laughs> I'm and I... I'm laughing like hysterically at this point. Okay. You are you are at the time, Adam. I, I'm with you at the county board of elections where they're giving the. I know that, news. but were you laughing? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it was they not came a back and confirmed. Yeah, I was. And here's the thing: it wasn't like I could sign a document right then to change it. I had to wait till the next primary to change it. So in 2010, I voted, and I changed my party affiliation. And then on a mind of my own business. And, and I'm going to say something that kind of sounds sacrilegious right now. But it might be something that you've heard before. People say, and I think it's kind of a cop-out. I'm minding my own business. I'm all about the gospel. You ever heard anybody say that when they talk about not being politically involved? I'm not going to get political. I just want to be about the gospel. You ever heard anybody, heard, anybody say that? So I'm being just about the gospel. And then this lady calls me and she says, hey, Paul, what are you doing? I said, I'm sitting down. In my... By the way, real quick, let me, let me back up from this. I think it's important for you to know that we had three beautiful biological children. And there came a point where I felt like God was tugging in my heart saying, we're supposed to adopt. My wife and I had talked about it years ago. She had not brought it up because we found out that it cost so much money to adopt. We didn't have any money. To adopt. I'm living, I'm raising my own funds. Anyway, it's, there's no money. There's no money underneath the mattress. God leads us to adopt a little girl from China. And I don't know, I can't explain it. All I did was say yes all along the way. My wife and I were together on it, but we didn't know how God was going to provide for it. Every step of the way, God provides. And I'll say this. At one night when I was laying in my bed, wrestling with God about this, because I think you need to hear this. 
Every one of you probably needs to hear exactly, if you hear nothing that I say tonight, nothing, if you can hear this, it's so important. Laying in my bed, wife's asleep next to me. I say to my, I'm talking with God and, and I say, God, how in the world can I afford to adopt a little girl? And God very clearly, I'm a little charismatic, okay? So I hope that didn't offend y'all. I didn't hear his audible voice, but it was very clear. God was speaking right here. Very clear. Has anybody ever felt an overwhelming sense of God's clear speaking to you? I can probably count the number of times, maybe on two hands, maybe, maybe two hands and two feet, but it's, but it's, it's not, it's not all the time that it was this clear. God said this to me. He goes, Paul, you're asking the wrong question. Don't ask, how can you afford it? Ask, is this what I want you to do? You wrestle with that and get back with me. I'm going to tell you, I'm right now, I'm looking at Rebecca, I'm looking at Bess, I'm looking at Mary, I'm looking at Jake, I'm looking at Tracy, Emma, Sarah, Chris, I'm looking at Calvin, I'm, I'm looking at all of y'all. I didn't mention all y'all's names, but you know who you are, every one of you, that's what I mean. There's going to come times when you sense that God is calling you to do something. And you're not going to have the how, but you've got to wrestle is, is God calling you to do it? And then you've got to step out in faith and begin walking. I have a friend who's, who's Jewish. He's, he's, a, he's a Messianic Jew. And he said that the children of Israel, when they were getting ready, when they were crossing, the oral tradition says this, when they were going into the Red Sea, when Pharaoh's coming at them, the priests had to take the ark and the priests went out. The oral tradition says that those priests walked out and the water was up to their neck. And then God moved it. And they moved and they walked in through on dry land. But there are times when you've got to take steps of faith and it doesn't feel safe. And your God is going to call you. He's going to call you to do something. And you're just, our job is just to obey. I had already decided I was going to obey back in that hospital room, whatever God told me to do. It's kind of like when, I, when, it, when it came to my purity. I, I gave myself to, uh, you know, sexual purity when I was a young man and I'd already made the decision. So it didn't matter if I was in a car with a girl and what the temptations were. I'd already made the decision. I wasn't making the decision right then in the heat of the moment. I'd already decided that I was going to obey God. And so th at this moment, a guy said, Oh, he's just a gentle reminder. Is that what I'm asking you to do? Cause if I've asked you to do it, then you're just going to start doing it. So God provided, and we have this beautiful little 13 year old girl named Emmy Isaacs, and she's the light of our lives. And I wish you could meet her. And someday you probably will. Fast forward. Now I'm, I'm sitting, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sitting in my office and this lady calls, she's Paul, what are you doing? I said, I'm sitting in my office. She goes, okay, I should get a question. I want you to sit down. I said, okay. She goes, have you ever heard of the heartbeat bill? And I said, yeah, I've heard of the heartbeat bill. I kind of lied. I, I remember I was only about the gospel. So I was, I was not about politics, but I, I figured I knew I could probably tell her what the heartbeat bill was. I was very pro-life and it sounded to me like if, if you could detect the heartbeat in the child, then you would not be able to take the life. So I said that to her and she goes, yeah, that's it. I was like, Phew. She says, hey, listen, there's a, a, a group of five that are of state senators that are keeping this in committee. And it's already passed the, the House. And we've got a governor who we think will sign it. But these we don't know because these five Republican state senators are not letting it get out of committee. So she said, she says, I need you to primary this, this person. 
Because if you primary and you win, you're going to be elected because it's a Republican district. But really, I hope you don't even have to primary her. All I want you to do is scare her. So, so she says, just maybe you can scare her into running. She says, I don't know if you'll have to run. But we need you to at least look like you're going to. So I knew that this wasn't about taxes. It wasn't about zoning or it wasn't about curbs and sidewalks. It's about life. And I'm going to stand before God someday. I'm going to have to give an account of what I did with the opportunities that were given to me. So my wife and I talked about it. We said, okay, what do we got to do? So she goes, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get on the county board of elections. You're going to say to them, I'm here from the sixth district and I'm here to file papers for the petitions to get on the ballot in March to run for state center. When you say that, Paul, they're going to go, they're going to say, I'll be right back. They're going to go back to act like they're getting the papers. They're going to immediately get on the phone and they're going to say, uh, to, they're, going to, they're going to have a call, go right into that state center. That state center is going to go, whatever meeting she's in, she's going to get out of it. And she's going to say, okay, who's here to run against me? A guy named Paul Isaac. She goes, okay. Is that, then that girl's, that lady's going to get on the phone. She's going to get on with her team. Anybody, who, who's got a connection with Paul Isaacs? Anybody? I, then somebody's going to have a connection. Then they're going to get on the phone. They're going to call you and they're going to try to talk you out of it. I said, come on. Are you serious? State senator. Come on. This is not like, you know, the Manchurian candidate or anything. So I, I, I kind of scoffed at it, but I, the next day I went down to the county board of elections. I'm like, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. You know, I'm looking around at the signs, you know, and the, the, the statues and you know i'm like having a good old time as paul isaac's here i'm i'm uh <clears throat> i'm i'm here to you know blah 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 you know get the signatures and she's she the guy says i'll be right back i'll get this for you and i didn't even think of it i just you know i'm looking around and i get him you know and then i go out and i take a selfie you know with them you know send it to her let her know i've done my part you know i need your help Went back to the campus where Adam was and started, you know, meeting guys and, you know, it was cold that day. So I put my phone in my pocket. I didn't check it because I was with guys. Saw this phone call from somebody. I didn't recognize the name or the number. So I call. Hey, uh, this is Paul. I got a phone call from this number. Yeah. Hey, Paul, this is Brian. How you doing, man? Brian. Yeah, Brian from the church. He went to my church. Hey, Brian, how you doing? <laughs> He goes, hey, uh, he says a couple of things. He goes, hey, I heard you. You know the crazy thing is, Paul, I, I heard you're running for office. I said, that's crazy. How'd you hear that? He goes, wow, you know, if word gets around, I said, you know, here's Brian, let me tell you something. I'm not really running for office. I'm really just trying to, and I tell him the whole scheme, you know, I'm going to scare this lady into running for office. You know, like, the, you know, she, as soon as I tell, as soon as like I, I, I get, I start running for office. She doesn't want to spend that money in the general or in the, in the primary. She wants to save it for the general election. She's going to go and take it. So I, I tell him the whole scheme. He goes, that's great. That's what I told her you were probably doing. I said, what's that again? He said, that's, that's funny. Cause I told her that's probably what you were doing. I said, you told who? I told Peggy Laner. I'm on her campaign. I'm her campaign manager. What? smoke coming out of my ears. I'm so gullible. I was so mad at myself. I saw him at church the next Sunday. 
you know, I, actually, there's a whole, you have so many funny stories Adam can tell you about this thing. So funny. The whole process was so funny. But I see this guy at church and I said, hey, uh, hey, can I talk to you for a second? He goes, yeah. I said, you know, that heartbeat bill is a pretty big deal. You know, we could save about a school bus full of children every, I think it was every, every month. Adam, are you there? I don't know if Adam's there, but like it was, it was a, it was a startling number of children that we could have saved. Yeah, it was a lot. What was it? No, I, I, I don't remember if it was per day or per week, but. But we, yeah, it, it might've been per day. It was something. It was going to be tens of thousands per year. Yeah. Something crazy. And we, if we just did this and he said, he said, he's like, Paul, you don't understand. You little, basically call me a country bumpkin, you know, pat me on the head. You don't understand how these things work, blah, blah, blah. I said, hey, I'll tell you something. I said, you remember watching that movie Braveheart? And he goes, yeah. I said, you remember the guy, the guy named William Wallace and the guy named Robert the Bruce? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I said, you know what? Right now you're Robert the Bruce. And you have this opportunity to use your influence. You go tell her. She's one of the, she's like Robert the Bruce and she can use her influence to do the right thing and tell her if she doesn't, I'm William Wallace and I'm going to do it. Thinking that I had really done, you know, really, you know, this crazy. He goes, you know, Paul, she's got a quarter of a million dollars in her campaign chest. I hadn't banked on that. Okay. <laughs> When I'm getting all like real high and mighty and pompous, you know, and saying these big things, she's got a quarter of a million dollars. And I said, well, you tell her to start spending it because we're coming after her. And boy, oh boy, did we have fun. And we didn't spend much money. We didn't have it. But we had people and we had prayer and there's not enough time to tell you all the stories, but God called us. And we, we, we got in six weeks, we got 35% of the vote. And if I think if we had another six weeks, I think, I mean, Adam will tell you, there's a chance we could have caught her, but God had a different, different plans in mind. God called us out to Colorado, another obedience thing that I didn't really want to do, but God made it painfully clear to my entire family that this is what God wanted us to do. And I remember saying when I left, I don't think that this, the role that I'm taking in the Navigators is the reason I'm going. I feel like God's got something else in mind, and I don't know what it is, but I just know that I'm supposed to obey now. And then I read this article about how some young people with a van were changing the face of the pro-life movement. And I've been out here about a year and a half or so, and, and it was a group called, this young group called Save the Storks. And I was so captivated and for eight months, I prayed about it and thought about it. And then I finally said to the guy, I said, hey, see, let's young guy. I said, why haven't you asked me to join your team? You know how I feel about life. You know how I feel about this issue of abortion. He goes, Paul, I can't afford you. I don't have any money. Well, he, he was this entrepreneur that always made things look bigger than they were. I thought there was this, you know, war chest of money that he could pay me a salary. And I, you know, he said, I don't have any money. He didn't even have a, he, I don't even know if he had one bus out yet. You know, these, save the storks, the whole model was, is that we would take these Mercedes Sprinters and make them extremely beautiful, put a beautiful wrap on it and put a mobile ultrasound unit in it. And we would park them somewhere outside of a, a, a Planned Parenthood. And as women would come in 
to the abortion clinic or the Planned Parenthood, we would just simply in a loving way without any picket signs or protesting, we would say, would you be interested in a free ultrasound of your baby? And if a girl said yes, four out of five of them that got on board a stork bus would, would, would see that image of their baby and they would say they couldn't go through it anymore because they, they have felt this bond. They saw what was happening and they're like, I can't, I can't do this. And we, we would work through the local pregnancy centers there and through churches. And it was a beautiful, beautiful ministry because Paul is, I can't, I don't have any money to help, you know, to, to pay you. And then the Holy Spirit said in one of those other moments, it was very clear. And I was like arguing with the Lord. Lord, I don't want to say this to him. I said, how about if I raise my own salary? He said, you had me at hello. So God led us to go out and raise our own funding for our salary. We did. Six and a half years later, you know, we had, we went from, I don't know, maybe a few hundred thousand dollar ministry with one van to over 60 mobile medical units and a $10 million ministry. But God moved me out of that in August. Lately, I've been working for a group called My Faith Votes. I'm their vice president of outreach. And right now I'm just continue saying yes. I continue to say a yes until the day I die. I'm going to obey God and what he calls for me to do. And if that means one <laughs> someday, I said, I, I told him the story about how I want to die on my deathbed. You know, I want to say I was faithful and I was obedient. My buddy, he's, he, he's a politician out here. He goes, no, you don't, Paul. You want to get your head chopped off for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> I don't know about that. But that would be fitting from that first story at the Christian camp, wouldn't it? So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. There's so many things in there that I, I didn't share with you, but I'm willing to share those if you have any questions. Thank you for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. If you like the show, please drop a review in your podcast app and be sure to subscribe for all of our latest episodes. You can follow Forge Leadership Network at Forge Leadership on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about Forge programming, please visit forgeleadership.org.